if I could have one magic wish for the people financially running Europe, I would say allow a little more risk. A little bit of risk in your portfolio can achieve incredible returns, and that drives all of the innovation in Silicon Valley in terms of the way things get financed. So, if Europe would allow a little more risk, just a little, it could have an incredible, profound effect on its technology base here. The world beyond emotion is of tomorrow. Brought to you by Michelle and Mark. Welcome back to my podcast, Well Beyond the Emotion Years of Tomorrow. I'm Michael Mack, and um, I have the honor to have Clyde Parson today with me, the Managing Director of the Internet Economy Foundation and the partner at iEconomy. Hi, Clyde. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm doing great, and it's, I'm really honored that you took the time as my guest in my new podcast, The Well Beyond. Um, so I prepared some quick questions for you Um which I'll ask you to answer as short as possible. Are you ready? I'm ready. One. Well, you are, among many other exciting topics, also an expert on entertainment. Which forms of entertainment do you enjoy most in your spare time? Oh, it would have to be music. That was my first love. I was in a garage band, and my first job, I was a rock critic in Nashville, Tennessee. That sounds exciting. Two. What was your first VR experience? Oh, gosh. First VR experience. You know, it might have been a VR coaster with you guys. I, I think that was the first one where I really felt like somebody put it all together. Three. Why did you decide to focus on the metaverse and did not become a banker? <laughs> um, because it pulls together so many technologies into one. That's what's so exciting about it. I mean, it's not only the VR and the immersion, which uh, captures... Uh, emotions and is just uh, incredible for all the senses but that involves gaming that involves music that involves tech of all kinds um, it's really sort of one of those things that ties it all together four you're one of the best connected americans in germany who is the most famous person in your address book the most famous person in my address book wow um uh well here i have to actually um, reveal a little family uh, history. Actually, my wife used to work for the federal president of Germany. She ran his office. So um, Germans would say, I can say you to him, uh, to one of the former presidents. Excellent. Well, let me start with a provocative question. Um, you being American um, and Americans in general don't seem to care too much about our data security, uh, <laughs> as we Germans have the German angst and we have a major privacy policy, the GDPR. Are we overly cautious or are you being American reckless? Uh, that's a great question. I think it's a bit of both. I think everyone understands why Germany historically or why Germans would feel that the government having access to data about them is a very sensitive topic, given what happened in the last century, um, historically. And so the fact that your right to your data is a European, you know, basic right, uh, anchored in your sort of bills of rights of Europe is a big deal that most Americans are not aware of. And we have always had a much more cavalier attitude towards 
data in general. You know, we don't register in America where we live. We have social security numbers, which are sort of our IDs, but in general, we've always had a little bit of a looser attitude towards uh, data and privacy in general. I think Europe is definitely doing something right with GDPR. I think it was important to take that step, but I think five years after GDPR was enacted, it's become very clear that it's not working the way it was intended. Nobody knows how to get compliant. Um, so I think it's a really great intention, but it still needs a lot of work to function the way it was supposed to. So in a brief, would you prefer the American way? Uh, if I was starting a tech company, I'd prefer the American way. If I was trying to protect my rights and um, not be exposed and not be you know, doxxed or taken advantage of, I think I'd like the European way. What do you see as the most exciting upcoming trends in entertainment companies in general? Um, the smaller players and creators, uh, the bigger conglomerates. I mean, there's so much going on at the moment, especially in entertainment. What is your view on that? I think it's really an extraordinary time right now in entertainment because so many tools like what we've been seeing in generative AI are really upending what it means to be a creator and what you can create and what you can create with what kind of budget. You know, music was one of the first industries that was really demolished by the internet in terms of its business model. The cost of creating music went to zero and that revolutionized music. And now of course we have streaming. It took a long time to get a business model to sort of catch up with the technology. And right now, as we're talking, the cost of creating ultimately a Hollywood level production is going to go to zero. We see text to video applications coming out on a daily basis right now. And, um, there's probably never been a more exciting time to be a creator in the entertainment space. I think it's limitless. There's going to be some wild West. We're seeing, you know, Drake and the weekend, their record company is trying to stop a creation where AI generated a new song in their style. Um, so who has the right to my voice if I'm the weekend or Drake? So, you know, the genie's out of the bottle in terms of uh, creativity. And I think what generative AI is going to do, not just to music, but also to film and to television and ultimately even to VR and the metaverse is going to be extraordinary. Let me touch on that one. I mean, when we are talking about um, Germany or Europe as a whole, you being an American living for so many years in Europe, um, do you think Germany or in particularly Europe is ready for that move? Having said that we are protective of our data, that we like to control things. And now you're talking about everybody can do anything. Is that a mentality that Europeans can cope with? I'm not sure. Um, I mean, it, it, things are getting so fast. You know, things are getting fast when the pioneers out in Silicon Valley keep saying, whoa, 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 we need to slow down. <laughs> you know, a few weeks ago, some of the biggest names in tech essentially said we should stop developing AI for six months until we figure out what we're doing. Um, it's gotten that crazy. I think Europe is right now really not ready to compete or to keep up. But ironically, you know, Michael, um, you, you know, you guys are so strong in VR and the metaverse. Um, gaming and music are two of the sectors where Europe is still extremely strong on the world stage and very competitive and has great companies, has great brands, has great IP. So 
Um, I think it's really important, um, especially in, in these spaces, that Europe try to keep up. And I, and I think you're going to see some, some really interesting moves happening. But things are moving so fast right now, the regulators are just not going to be able to keep up. I think we're going to have a lot of things get broken. I think we're going to have some chaos. I think we're going to have some damage done in the marketplace. And it's going to take quite some time, I think, to try and sort of um, put some guardrails in place for what this new technology will do. So you think that um, Europe is not out of the game yet? I don't think Europe is out of the game yet. Uh, I mean, ironically, a lot of the talent is European, even the talent in Silicon Valley. Um, a lot of the, the models that, uh, that the AI is running uh, have come from Europe. Um, Europe has all the building blocks it needs to compete. Uh, this is something I say all the time. I mean, we have incredible universities, incredible research institutes. We have just as much capital sitting around in our pension funds as the Americans do, but we have not built the innovation machine the way that... Uh, the United States has done. China has built a different type of innovation machine built around, you know, sort of state centralization. I think Europe has an incredible role to play. I think it has an incredible future, but uh, we've still got to do some work to get the puzzle pieces put together. What's for you the um, advice you could give um, looking as an American on Europe? What would you say What do we have to do of um, competing with the big nations like the U.S. or China? What would be your advice? You know, I think what I've been seeing in the in recent years, it sounds like a cliche, but play to your strengths. For a long time, when I look at the German tech space, for instance, a lot of the startups were either trying to copy interesting models from the U.S. or doing things in the consumer space, you know, interesting delivery apps or, or other kind of consumer things. What's happened in, in the recent years is that um, a lot of Europeans have awakened to the fact that Europe is so strong in difficult technology. You know, a lot of times we call it deep tech. It's the hard things. It's hardware. Um, it's things based around chips. You see quantum computing. You see all the strengths of the German economy and manufacturing, uh, the Internet of Things, additive manufacturing, logistics, mobility, healthcare. These are things where a lot of companies are now being born in the European space, taking advantage of champions in this uh, space and starting to really build amazing, interesting products that are now going around the world. So I think Europe has to A, play to its strengths and look to its existing strong industries and its industrial base and find a way to bring that into the 21st century. But I think, you know, once again, if I could have one magic wish uh, for the people financially running Europe, I would say allow a little more risk. A little bit of risk in your portfolio can achieve incredible returns. And that drives all of the innovation in Silicon Valley in terms of the way things get financed. So if Europe would allow a little more risk, just a little, just a little, it could have an incredible, profound effect on its technology base here. Let me touch on that point. I mean, obviously, we Germans are very rooted. We come back from decades and decades of history. Um, I just We're coming back from Los Angeles, and um, I do see the American mentality, as you were mentioning, that you don't have an address, a living address, you have your social secure number. So, I mean, the Americans are like going west constantly. I mean, they, uh, whenever they see an opportunity, they, they continue traveling. I, I'm wondering all the time, you say like 
yes, um, look on your strengths, um, um, take the hardware sector where you've really been strong in. I'm a bit afraid being German when you see what happened to the uh, German automotive uh, industry that Tesla just comes around the corner and uh, brings you a car, which is mainly a data collection machine and a software mm-hmm. uh, platform. So how can we change that in, in, in being great in software? Or do you see any other opportunities which we should look at? Maybe it's cooperating with big tech companies. I mean, just recently, Mercedes did a deal with Google for their in entertainment. Yeah, those deals really scare me. It's a great question, Michael. And, um, you know, I used to always joke that America uh, is genetically self-selected. We are the people who got on the boat from Germany and said, it's not working here. Let me try my fortune over there. So, you know, we're kind of a continent full of people who always said, ah, it's not working. Let's go try something new. And, you know, it was always the second and third son who went over to America, but the first son who stayed in Germany, you know, ran the family farm for seven generations. So, you know, aside from the genetic heritage of that, you know, there is to me a couple important points here. One is you yourself are an incredible exemplifier of the great European strength that most Americans are not aware of, which is family owned run businesses can be some of the most innovative and long living and visionary companies in the world. And I mean, what the Mack family has done with Europa Park is completely exemplary of thousands of family-run hidden champions uh, all around Europe. And why is that important? Because these are companies that think across generations, you are always trying to reinvent uh, the company, the product, um, but stay completely rooted in your culture, in your place, in your heritage. You're not necessarily trying to please Wall Street or the analysts every quarter with your results. So you have a different type of pressure. You have a pressure to perform for uh, your children or your grandchildren's generation. Whereas in the U.S., if you look, you know, Detroit isn't doing really well in the electronic car market either compared to Germany uh, and the Chinese. Why is that? I mean, for um, many Americans, we're quite frustrated with the fact that everything being so short term um, leads to really terrible decisions in the long run. So our, our companies are optimized for profit and for performance and for the stock price, but that's not necessarily in the best long-term interest of the shareholders, but especially uh, in the interest of the country. So I think, you know, my recipe, if you will, for Germany, of course, is a, don't give up this long-term visionary thinking, especially for your, for your incredible legacy of family run businesses. But of course, let's be honest. I mean, BMW, Mercedes, um, uh, and especially VW, were caught sleeping with what Tesla has done uh, and grew a little too complacent and did not innovate fast enough. So I think they've learned this lesson that they have to get much quicker and see themselves as software developers first and uh, hardware developers second to some degree. I don't really know what the recipe is for that uh, exactly, but I will say, you know, I'm not a history expert, but I don't think all the German car companies started out to be luxury brands. 
They just wanted to build the world's best car. And by focusing on excellence after a hundred years, most of the German brands are synonymous with luxury. It's the best. And by that same token, I think that when uh, Europeans, but especially Germans, enter a market, they might not start out to want to be the luxury brand, but just through virtue of the standards that are kind of inherent in the way Germans think. And, you know, I've been here 27 years, so I love the culture and I love this about Germany. I love this even about Europa Park, the attention to detail, the incredible standards you set for yourselves. You didn't set out to necessarily be the best in the world, but you looked around and one day you realized, well, nobody's doing it as well as we are. And by that same token, I think there are a lot of sectors in technology where if you give Europe and Germany 20, 30 more years, they will find a way to dominate these markets or build the best products. Well, let's hope that. And uh, But it, let me touch on that one. I think it's quite important. I mean, as you know, we are a eighth generation uh, company um, being on the market Um when I'm looking into what you were just saying, it's like, you know, the freight of uh, quality, you know, the freight of um, long-term business models. When I look into the digital ecosystem, you know, whenever we read the news, it's about destroying old business models. The winner takes it all. I mean, talking about VR attraction, especially being a theme park, if it means you have to destroy your business model, sort of to be successful in what you do. And so do you want me to come home to my dad and say like, hey, I spoke to Clark today, shut down the bike, and we're shut just going to do park. VR uh, for the future. So, I mean, there's a little a German angst coming up on, on, on the dinner table when you say, because, of course, my dad would fear like, oh, God, if we're doing too much in digital business models, the people won't come to the theme park anymore. So how, how would you deal with that? I mean, I can totally understand that angst, but I mean, I think one of the great things we've learned in the last six months after the pandemic is that, um, you know, live is back as I understood it, the park had its best year ever. Um, we see incredible live music tours. I mean, in the, in, in so many different spaces now, live is back, live experience is booming. I don't think that's really ever going to go away, but I think it is essential that anybody who uh, has a product or an experience constantly has to focus on what the next generation is doing to get its entertainment, how it entertains itself, how it communicates and say, okay, is there something coming? Is there something around the corner um, where we can participate, where we can get ahead of the curve? So I think it's brilliant what you guys do with Mac Next and Mac Media, because I think, I mean, looking at what you guys, just with the VR and the metaverse space alone with Yulby, what you guys have done is really visionary and showing the way for how location-based entertainment can be incorporated, you know, uh, uh, into a quote unquote traditional park experience. So I think it's, it's, you know, it's just really crucial to continually ask yourself, okay, we're not in the sell tickets to roller coasters business. We're in the emotional best day ever experience business. Um, and what does that entail? And that's why, you know, you guys have moved into uh, hotels, you have gastronomy, you've got all the senses so that everyone, when they're on site, you know, they live that magic and togetherness every day and in every way. So I think so what you're saying you know, is I, literally better never sleep. 
Never sleep. But I don't think I don't get the impression you guys get much sleep, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what I learned from our talk that you saying, like, if you sleep, you have to do a cooperation with a Chinese or American company. (laughs) Well, you know, the thing is, you know, every time I've gone out to Silicon Valley, the people there always laugh at how lazy the work ethic of Silicon Valley looks compared to the Chinese that are coming for them. So there's always somebody who's awake and trying to work, uh, you know, to take your business. That's uh, unfortunately just the way things are in a, in a global market. But I think you guys, I hope that um, the Mac family would not feel that, uh, you know, next year everything is completely under threat. I think you guys should have some faith in what you guys have achieved with your business model. And, you know, I think some incremental change is coming, but, you know, let's face it, if in six months I can type in 20 words of text onto my computer and say, um, I want to spend a day at Europa Park in my VR headset uh, and experience this ride and that ride and this experience, and somebody who's walked through Europa Park has already captured some photographic images of the park. You know, somebody could already have the Europa Park experience in a VR headset, uh, whether you were doing it or not. So the question is, are you going to be the one to, um, to disrupt yourself and find new ways to entertain people and make connection to your great characters and your great park experiences? Or are you going to let somebody else do it? So that's my challenge to you. <laughs> so I stay, stay home, home stay kids. hungry, stay foolish. That's literally what you're saying. I mean, let me touch once quickly on the ARIA award. Um, yet another award. I mean, the, the award honors the best innovators in the immersive entertainment. Is it really needed? I mean, why, why? I mean, you being such a successful guy, you know, seeing the industry for so long, and then the theme park comes up and says, like, let's do an ARIA award. I mean, Get another award? How do you see the award? It's funny because, you know, my one of my previous jobs, um, uh, I ran a business school for the creative industries and one of our primary industries we worked with was advertising. And that's an industry that has too many awards, believe me. But the reason why we looked at what Europa Park was doing in the VR space and said, Michael, we the world needs another award is because... This is such a new and innovative space going on right now. And the future is so unwritten in terms of what the experience is going to be, what the product is going to be. You know, before this podcast comes out, we will still be living in the era before Apple's AR headset comes out. That's going to be a bit of a a dawn of a new era just later this year. So for years people in the virtual reality space kept saying, you would go to conferences and everyone would say, are we there yet? Waiting for the killer app. When is it coming? So we could all feel that the technology is getting there, but it wasn't there yet. And the consumers weren't buying a billion headsets at Christmas yet. I think we're getting really close. And the fact that we're getting close, we thought it was really important to bring together all of the cutting edge technologists, all of the people creating the best experiences and put them in one room or rather put them uh, in one incredible location, Europa Park for two days and let them share ideas uh, and inspire each other, even work with each other and, and develop new projects. And so every year at Araya, that's what's so exciting to us is that we didn't even come up with 
specific categories when we together sat down with you guys and said, okay, what should this award look like? We said, let's leave it wide open. Let's let our jury decide what's important because this industry is so fresh and new. It's really important to see where things go. And so, yes, every year there are some uh, you know, new types of escape room. And yes, every year there's a, maybe a couple new types of hardware giving you haptic feedback. You can see all these pieces still coming together, but I think, um, the progress has been extraordinary. And I think Araya has done an incredible job of identifying what the state of the art is and rewarding it and helping those companies find audience, find investors, uh, and get more attention. So I think why do another award show? Uh, we didn't feel like there were enough award shows in this space doing what Araya does. And to me, it's an incredible community feeling when we all come together every year. It's almost like a family reunion. But when I'm looking into the industry, and I'd love to have your opinion about that, I mean, coming back from the US, um, reading that Disney just um, canceled their Meta team, um, reading that Meta himself leaving 10,000 employees. So it seems like the big entertainment companies are like um, going back to their normal strategy leaving the metaverse. And I just was reading in the NZZ, you know, it's the Zürcher Zeitung here in Switzerland with a big um, headline saying, no one wants to go to the metaverse. Why it's lonely in the brave new world. So um, what is your take on the latest news on the metaverse? I think we're definitely hitting another little valley of disappointment for a couple of reasons. I think, first of all, you know, as much as I love the fact that Mark Zuckerberg renamed his company Meta and brought an incredible amount of attention to this technology and the potential of, of this sort of platform model, let's face it, if all this technology is supposed to do is to improve the business meeting, then that's not what we're here for. <laughs> you know, um, the potential of immersive experience is still so wide open that I don't think we have figured out exactly what the best use of this kind of technology will be for different experiences. You know, every new medium has to always kind of find its way. You know, in the beginning radio, when, when radio was new, the radio gave you drama, the radio gave you music, the radio gave you news, the radio gave you everything. Ultimately, once television came along and film and other things, we settled into what radio gave you best. And um, no new medium is destroyed or rather destroys the old ones. They just all kind of reshuffle what they do and what they do best. So in virtual reality right now, you know, there's incredible things happening, for instance, in the training space. A lot of companies uh, in executive education are being born. So virtual reality based education and training and learning is taking off and continues to get investment. So I guess what I'm saying is the technology is just a technology. How we use it is something that we're all still experimenting with. I think the big budget virtual reality experience, sort of gameplay adventures, those don't seem to be taking off as much as people had hoped. I think escape rooms like you'll be and, and what you guys are doing with interactive kind of location based stuff is clearly working and a hit. 
and definitely has a future. But I think we're going to have to wait and see how Apple interprets this with its augmented reality operating system to really get an idea of where we're going. Um, because, you know, potentially maybe we're just all wearing glasses that could show us an immersive experience or a 2D experience or just a pass through experience of the real world with data overlaid upon it. It's just really hard to know right now where we're going to end up. But I mean, I feel the disappointment. I think uh, about 18 months ago, we all felt like, okay, here we go. And by the way, headset sales continue to rise. It's just that, you know, that people aren't buying 500 million VR headsets right now. They're just buying them in the tens of millions. So the user base continues to rise. Um, the installed base continues to get better, but it's not, um, you know, going at some kind of incredible pace that we all might have expected a couple of years ago. So you literally answered my question, which I have on my paper, and I skipped out <laughs> those ones, which I just want to mention is like um, HoloWrite is another yet great VR experience on the go. Um, um, maybe you can say one, two words about that company, which we did found at the Aurea Award, funny enough, which we did award. So looking ahead, what is entertainment for you in the future? Is it a mixed experience or will it stay on the VR experience? Um, for those who aren't familiar, Holoride is a spinoff from Audi. It's actually an interesting story. The digital team at Audi started working on a VR experience um, in which you could sit in the car and have a virtual reality experience moving with the car. Uh, in other words, it would take the information from the car and it would track it onto your visual field, like sort of a game engine. For those of you who know the gaming industry, it would create a, a, a gameplay. They call it elastic content so that if the car turns right, your entire field of vision and everything that's happening that you're seeing in virtual reality takes a right turn or a left turn. And what does this do? This kills motion sickness, which is a huge problem for virtual reality for a lot of people. A large percentage of people who experience virtual reality get motion sickness and Holoride defeats that. But it then of course creates an entirely new platform for entertainment. You can have games, you could experience films all on the backseat of the car, which for anybody who sat on a backseat of a car and tried to watch their wobbly phone in their hands knows that you can get motion sickness just trying to look at your phone. So Holoride, I think, has an incredible future to create a new platform for um, how you can be entertained in the back seat uh, or in the passenger seat. And that could even be 2D. That could just be your TV screen being projected onto a headset. So three cheers to Europa Park and the Aurea Award. You guys awarded Holoride, I think, at the second Aurea Awards and have been uh, inviting Niels back to the jury, the, the CEO of Holoride. So it's it's really an amazing story of how a company was, was kind of joined the family of Aurea and has continued to come back um, and share their learnings. Now, to the future of entertainment, uh, as you asked, that's a really big question. I mean, I think we see as you know, we're living through a golden age of streaming. So 2D television right now, um, I don't think there's ever been more productions 
taking place in the world than there are right now. I mean, the budgets are off the charts. It's an extremely exciting time in terms of storytelling and content happening in the television space. Obviously, the film space, as you know it, um, aside from things like, you know, the big blockbusters, it's gotten really difficult to get a quality movie made for 20 million, you know, made for grown-ups. A lot of the innovation has moved into the TV screen. But I think what we're what we're seeing that's going to be coming now, it's really just the beginning once these generative AI tools become available to a young generation that could potentially tell stories on a shoestring with almost no budget. You could generate incredible Hollywood quality production values and tell stories. So I think um, the power of the platform and distribution is going to become really important. It's going to be like music. I think every day, a hundred thousand titles are uploaded to Spotify. So ultimately the power in music is ultimately among the distributors right now, the people who are helping you discover what you might like in an ocean of new content. And I think it's going to become the same with um, television and potentially even filmed entertainment. Discovery and distribution are going to become ever more important, I think, in a world where anybody could be a creator. Like that young man looking at you from Europa Park through the window, Michael. <laughs> This broadcast was brought to you by Holoride. So we got that <laughs> message. And um, thanks for um, explaining. Um, I mean, a great company. Um, I do love what they're doing. Um, Talking about platform, you hear a lot, and I could talk for hours and hours with you because it's so exciting, this new world. Um, but let me try to find an end of our very uh, great talk and inspiring talk. Um, is TikTok and a short answer a threat to our community? I guess the short answer would probably be yes, if only because A, the ownership or control structure behind that company clearly leads into the party in power in in beijing and b we have no idea what's going into that algorithm and who's in control of it i mean that opens up a whole new subject right now of you know the europe is about to pass a law called the ai act which will try to bring some accountability to people having to explain how their algorithm and their news feeds work but right now a country that we don't necessarily feel is completely sharing our democratic values is potentially got the last word on a platform that is quickly becoming the most popular and addictive social media platform in the world with the capability to spread whatever information or disinformation it wants around the world in real time. I'd be scared if I were you too. That's an interesting one because you can see it. I mean, obviously China doesn't have the same values than we do, but how distracting um, in general are social media platforms? I mean, talking about Instagram, seeing what happened to the election of the president of the United States. Um, but I think that's a topic which would go beyond <laughs> this talk. But um, I think we sure. have to be careful of platforms in general. And I think Europe is really playing a big role in that, maybe controlling yes. a European platform, sharing our values. And um, so I think we have room for that. My um, 
One of my last questions to you is like talking about AI, talking about VR, talking about mixed reality, platform technology. With this fast-paced changing world, how do you think will our leadership skill set have to be adapted to function best in the future working environment? Boy, that's a really, really great question. I think, uh, ironically, I used to run a leadership school um, and we talked about this a lot. We ultimately felt like uh, creative solutions were going to become one of the more important things because um, a few years ago we said that's what humans do best. And now, of course, all this generative AI is revolutionizing the creative industry. So I think, you know, the skill set of a leader is changing so quickly in terms of what you need to be a leader. I think, you know, in the old days, we have this image of, of the person up top. Uh, usually it was a male we had in our heads and they're going to tell us all what to do. And I think it's become clear now that leadership is much more of a collaborative skill. It's much more of a listening skill. And it's much more about inspiring others to empower themselves to go out and do what needs to be done. Because things move so quickly now, you have to really make sure that all of those around you have a feel that they are trusted enough to make right choices and live up to the standards in the culture of a company or an organization um, and go out and just get the task done. So leadership really is changing. It's, you know, we talk about a networked leader. I mean, I think you can see it in, in sort of some of the skill sets that we're valuing much more, even in the tech space. Um, it's, it's really, really morphing. It's really changing. And, you know, I, I, ironically, it's one of the things I actually really love about the German culture. I've been here so long and, and I see it in, in Europa Park too. And in the way you guys have your company culture, you know, you hire really smart people who know their stuff and you demand a lot from them, but you really value expertise. And that's something that uh, even Americans look up to about the way that uh, German company culture runs. You know, when I got here, I would laugh a lot and say, gosh, all these CEOs are actually engineers. They didn't even go to business school. And it took a long time for me to realize what a great feature that is, what a great asset that you have people who essentially know their stuff, running the companies, thinking about the product that aren't just sort of parachuting in with Harvard Business School, you know, buzzwords and parachuting out to another vertical or another industry. So I think leadership really is, you know, we used to always talk about T-shaped leaders, people who could interact across a wide space and have a, a wide skill set, but could go really deep on one thing. And I think that's something that really is a great way to think about leadership going forward is that we really, we need T-shaped leaders. We need people who can network across the organization, who can build trust and collaboration across organizations and complex organizations, but who also have a skill set that can go quite deep. So hopefully that gives some hopefully some inspiration. I think, Michael, you are a great T-shaped leader, if I may say so. <laughs> okay, so then my last, thank you for that, Clark. Uh, my last question would be... Seven years from now. Let's look together into the future. Seven years from now, what will our world look like in terms of entertainment, on-the-go, AI and VR? Boy, I think if I could just maybe say one word, it'll probably be personalized. Um, I think, you know, the era is coming in which you're going to be able to ask an AI to create a film for 
someone in your family you love uh, in which your child for their birthday will be the star of the film and it'll be a story about them. So let's face it, you know, and once we got our iPhones, we all wanted to take really, really good selfies. It's always about us, isn't it? So ultimately, a lot of this technology is going to be put in service of creativity that's based even more around us than it could have been before. So I think, you know, personalized experiences, personalized entertainment products um, that are custom made on the fly by an AI in which you ask for it and 20 seconds later you have it, I think is going to be extraordinary. And we have not even begun to dream of the products and services that are going to be possible in seven years. So thank you so much, Clyde Parson, uh, for you talking about the world beyond the Emotioneers of tomorrow. Thank you so much for your time, Clyde. Thanks, Michael. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Michael Mack presents The World Beyond. Emotioneers of Tomorrow. A Mac One production.